Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles this morning uh, with the Word of God as we dive in there, um, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so if you turn right to the front of your Bible, it'll be right near the beginning there. Chapter 4 comes right after chapter 3, but not before chapter 5. Today, we are going to look at one of the more well-known stories in the Bible, uh, we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel, or, or at, least, at least part of the story of Cain and Abel. We're not going to dive all the way into everything. But Cain and Abel were the first two sons of the first two people that God created to be in relationship with him, Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see the descent of humanity into sin. When Adam and Eve ate of some fruit that God had told them not to. And for the first time, sin enters into the human condition. And it comes with a number of consequences and fallout and will remain very much a part of your reality and my reality today. That what took place, the sin of Adam and Eve, affects you and I and the consequences of their sin and the fallout of their sin. It affects you and I today in the way that your life and my life happen. But the story of God... And his relationship with humanity doesn't end there. And even in that, even in, in, in the idea of, of Genesis chapter 4, we see a picture of God's love and grace. The Bible, God's, God's story of, of humanity, or God's story of his relationship with humanity could have ended after chapter 3 of Genesis. By, by all rights, it could have. We messed up. Like right away, like question one on the exam, we failed it, right, right out of the gate. The, 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 at this point, the law of God that we, we, under, you know, we understand, the Old Testament law was big, it was complex, it was massive. At this point, the law consisted of one thing. Don't eat from one tree. That's it. And, and we couldn't handle that. God could have just walked away and just been like, there's a mistake in the recipe. You know when, you, when you're cooking something and, and you're making it and then you, you go and you try it out and right away you know, I put in salt instead of sugar. Or, or I used a tablespoon instead of a teaspoon. And it, you know instantly it, it doesn't taste right, this didn't work. That's God's experience with humanity. That he, he puts us here and immediately the first thing he says, the one thing I need you to do is not do that. And we immediately go and do that. And God could have just, just walked away and, and said, you know what? The recipe didn't work. I, I must have used the wrong ingredient. I must have used a tablespoon when it was supposed to be a teaspoon. Could have been something. And we could have come to, to Genesis chapter 3. We get to, to the fall of humanity and just read the end. And God says, I'm going to try again. I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. 
But the Bible keeps going. And the story of the Bible is, is God bringing humanity back from this point. That the whole rest of the Bible, the rest of the 65 and almost like 80% of the books of the Bible are all the story of God bringing humanity back from this point through Jesus and his death and resurrection and that message going out to the whole world. And that continues with us today. So the fact that we have Genesis chapter 4 to begin with is a beautiful testament of God's love for his creation. But now we come to Genesis chapter 4. And Genesis chapter 3 is pretty dark. And Genesis chapter 4 doesn't get much lighter. Um, it's not, there's a joyous celebration. It's still a pretty dark place. Humanity has hit its low but life goes on. Now there's a brief glimmer of hope at the beginning as, as chapter 4 opens with life literally going on as we read about Eve having two sons. The older son, his name is Cain. The younger son, his name is Abel. We don't get any real stories about these two boys as kids or anything as, as there's a pretty big time jump between the introduction of the boys in chapter 1 and the, the first half of, of verse 2. Then there's a big time jump in the second half of verse 2. That the, we, we read the boys were around and then we jump immediately to a story about the boys that obviously didn't happen right after they were born. So in the second half of verse 2, we read that Cain grows up to be a farmer and, and Abel grows up to be a rancher. We read this where it says, now Abel kept flocks and, and Cain worked the soil. And then we come to verse 3 and, and the next couple of verses through verse 5 that's really going to be our text today. And this is the story of, of Cain and Abel that, that we can be familiar with, that, that you may have heard. The story goes on from there to continue to be well known, but we're just going to look at these next couple of verses together. It says this, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And so we have these two brothers bringing a sacrifice to God. Cain brings some of his harvest to God, and Abel brings some of his flock to God. Now, and then we see that, that God looks with favor on Abel's sacrifice, but not on Cain's. And there, there's some debate as to why this happens. There's some discussion as, as to why would God look with favor on, on Abel, but, but not on Cain. Because we're not told outright that, that some say it was just simply God's choice. That God made a choice, and he picked between the boys, and there really wasn't a difference, but, but God picked Abel and, and didn't pick Cain. Some people will say it's, it's what made up the offering, that one was an animal sacrifice, 
versus fruits and vegetable sacrifice, that, that one was a blood offering and one wasn't. Or, or some people will say that maybe it was that God knew what was deep down inside of Cain's heart and couldn't accept it from there. And while I think a lot of those explanations may have some validity to them, I think that sometimes we, we as people can be guilty of, of just simply overthinking things and trying to place things in context that, that I don't think are, are always there. But before we dive deep into to answering the question, because I think that, that even the most common answer to this question is, well, Abel brought his first and Cain didn't. And, and I think that there, there's, there's part of that that's, that's true, but I think it, it, there's actually a, a deeper answer to this question that Scripture will help us see. But before we dive too deep into that, I want to take a minute and just look at a couple of things that, that will maybe challenge our understanding of this story just a little bit, that, that will maybe help shed some new light maybe on how you see or understand this story a little bit. Because one of the things that we have to talk about, that we have to, to explore, that we have to try and understand at least a little bit, is the question of expectations and Cain. The question of, of expectation and Cain. And, and was Cain living up to expectations? That, that if we say, well, it was because Cain did this. Well, well did Cain know he was supposed to do that? See, there's, there's two major things that don't happen in this story, that perhaps said, shed some light on what happens with Cain and something we need to see for us in this story. See, I would contend that from an exegetical point of view, from, from reading through the text and, and reading all of the verses that have led us to this point, that on the surface, there was nothing wrong with Cain's Sacrifice. As a reminder, we're in Genesis chapter 4. And the only command that God had given to humanity up until this point was to not eat of this one tree in the garden. Do you know what had not yet been commanded? Like at all? Sacrifices. Sacri there, there's no instructions in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, or Genesis chapter 3 about what a sacrifice is supposed to look like. Or they even need, you need to bring them. The word doesn't come up in the first three chapters of Genesis. That the first time we read about sacrifices or offerings being given to God like this is right here. This is the beginning of that. There's no instruction. There's no commandment. There's, there's nothing. If you go back and read through the first three chapters of Genesis, the ch topic has never come up. Nothing even close to it. And so what we can learn from that, what we can understand from that, is that Abel and Cain, they, they were bringing sacrifices on this day because they wanted to. They weren't bringing it because they had to. They weren't bringing it because they had been commanded to. They weren't bringing it as a religious duty. They were bringing it because God's worthy of it. Because they wanted to. They were bringing one because they wanted to express something to God. 
And so Cain brings God some of his harvest and offers it to the Lord. There, there had been no instruction on what to bring or, or how to bring it or when to bring it or even to bring anything at all. There was no instruction on how to do this. Cain just brought something for God and Abel just brought something for God. And so this leads us to the second thing that's kind of implied by that. That if, if there was no instruction on, or no commandments on sacrifice, on, on bringing a sacrifice or an offering to God, then by default, there was no instruction on what that sacrifice was supposed to be made of. And so when we say, well, well Abel brought his first and Cain didn't, Nobody had told Cain otherwise. Nobody had said, Cain, you need to bring your first for God. We know as we read back into scripture that that's what God commands is that we're supposed to bring our first. We're supposed to bring our... We know that from the benefit of 2,000 years after the Bible was written. We know that. But Moses was way far away. The law of God was way far away. From this moment, Cain hadn't been told what he was supposed to do. And it was not understood that, that God required the sacrifice of your best. That the only acceptable sacrifice was if it was your best. It wasn't understood because as far as we know, God never told them that. We have no record that Cain ever knew this was a thing. The only thing we know is that these boys decided one day they were going to bring an offering to the Lord. And God looked with favor on one and not on the other. And that's why it can be just an overly simplistic reading. It's, it's looking back with the benefit of hindsight. It's looking back from what we know now into the story and saying, well, if Cain just would have brought his best... Everything would have went differently, but he, he knew what he was supposed to do, and he just didn't do it. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. This past week, um, it was my birthday on Wednesday, and because of my amazingly talented artistic wife and her genetics, um, we as a family don't buy a lot of cards. Um, they're usually handmade. That if, if you've ever got a card from, from our kids, they're almost always handmade. Now, I still buy cards. Because I'm not artistic. That, that all of the artistic genes that exist inside of my family do not come from me. Um, or maybe they drained it all out of me and I got nothing left. Maybe the, It is all me, it's just I gave it all away. I'm sure that, that that's probably it. Except I wasn't artistic before I had kids, so maybe not. But every year, my kids make me birthday cards. Every year I get a card from, from my kids for my birthday and they each make me one. And they always try to, to encompass whatever's going on in my life at, at that point. So like Theo's cards had a, a Toronto Blue Jays logo and a Calgary Stampeders logo and a Calgary Flames logo. And, and Owens had Legend of Zelda stuff on it. And, and they, they do this great, they do an amazing job. And... 
if I'm honest with you, my kids have passed me in artistic ability. That, that I don't get to stand, you know, there, there's a point when your kids are little and like they get all of the points for trying and none of the points for the result. That you're like, oh, well, they really tried hard on this. But now my kids, all three of my kids draw better than I do. So, so I don't get to stand in any kind of like superiority place of like, well, their, their art really isn't very good. No, it's tremendous. It's much better than mine. But when they were little, I could draw better than them. When they were like one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, like my artistic ability was above theirs. Now, what this can feel like is if when my kids brought me a birthday card on my birthday, and, and I told Theo and Owen, eh, I don't like these. Heidi's is better. Get these ones out of here. They, they don't know that I'm comparing them. They made them simply because they wanted to. I didn't tell them they had to do it. They, they just did it because they, they loved their dad and it was his birthday and so I wanted to make him a special card. And, and then pretty ungratefully it would, it would seem for me to be if I just tossed two of them away based on criteria that they didn't even know. That, that if they came to me and brought me these cards and I just looked at them and said, oh, this one's got blue on it, get out of here. And they said, I didn't know you didn't want blue. Well, tough. That, that's not fair. That, that's not just. That's, that's not right. And when we understand the story of Cain, it can be tempting to see it like this. That he had no idea what God wanted or expected of him, but yet based on these unspoken expectations... God rejected his offering and chose his brothers. But so where does all of this leave us? Well, what's the point of this message? What did the pastor talk about today? Well, he talked about how Cain was justified. No, no that's not where we're going with, with this message. But what can we learn from Cain and Abel? Well, there's another place that we can turn in Scripture that I think will help us to see this story I think, in the right light. And that's to look to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn there if you like, but we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, but then we'll be, be not there for long. Hebrews chapter 11. Some people will casually call it like the hall of faith. It's this chapter in the Bible where the writer of Hebrews goes and looks at the Old Testament. And he, he highlights all of these different people in the Old Testament that did these amazing things, that, that have these amazing stories to tell, that, that by faith this person did this, and by faith this person did that. And we get this incredible picture of faith and what it means to live and operate by faith. And so it, it's a play on, on the Hall of Fame. You know, sports will have a Hall of Fame, or rock and roll has a Hall of Fame, and this is the Hall of Faith. And so, the but the first person named in the hall of faith is Abel from this story. The first person highlighted is Abel. And what it will say is this. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commend, or commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. 
And so what we can see here is that, yes, in fact, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. But we're told that it wasn't the quality of the offering that was different. But it's what the quality represented. That it wasn't somehow, well, by faith or, or by first blood or by first priority, Cain offered or Abel offered a better sacrifice, but it was by faith, by what the quality represented. Because I want to go back to what wasn't asked of the boys to understand this in a different light. Because it's true that Cain was not given a command to give a sacrifice or an offering to God. And it's true that Cain was not commanded to give God his best. And it's even true that without a command, Cain was still willing to give God something. But here's the other side of that. Abel wasn't commanded to give God a sacrifice. But he did. And he wasn't commanded to give God his best either. But here's the thing. He still did. The, the things that are true of Cain are also true. He, they weren't told to give a sacrifice, but they both did. They weren't told to give God their best, but one still did. He gave the best, or he gave God his very best, without having to be told. He just understood this is what he needed, this is what he wanted, to give to God. He wasn't giving God his best because he had been told, you need to give God your best. He was giving God his best because when he looked at God, he said, he's worthy of my best. See, God's worthy of our very best. Not because we were commanded to give and not because... We were commanded to give him our very best. But God is just simply worthy of my very best. And here's, here's the place where the rubber meets the road. Abel knew all of that. Abel believed all of that. And then he actually did it. It's one thing to know that God is worthy of my best. It's one thing to know that God is, is worthy of me giving my very best to him. But it's a whole other thing to actually give him my very best. It's one thing to say it, to believe it, to understand it, to accept it, and to then walk it out is, very, is a very different thing. He gave, gave God his best, and he trusted that if he gave God his best, God would provide for him. His gift was given in faith, is what Hebrews tells us. He had to trust God to give the way he did. See, I don't, I don't believe for Cain, it was ever just a simple question of what's God worth. I don't believe that, that Cain necessarily looked at his best and thought to himself, nah, God ain't worth this. But, but maybe he's worth some of the stuff at the bottom of the pile. 
You know, maybe he's not worth the best, but maybe he's worth some of the stuff in the maybe pile. I don't necessarily think Cain was thinking that way. But it was a question of faith. It wasn't what did Cain feel like he should give. It was a question of what did Cain feel like he could give. It was about faith. It was about his ability to trust. See, Cain needed his harvest. He needed that food. There's no supermarkets. There's no, well, if I give this to God, well, I'll just go run to save on foods after church and I can pick some up. It may cost a little more than somewhere else, but it's convenient, and so I'll go pick up some fruit and vegetable there. It'll be fine. Cain needed his food. Abel probably needed his food. Adam and Eve probably needed his food. Any other parts of their family that that had come into being probably needed his food. And so as Cain looks around and, and sees all of the people that are counting on him, all of the people who need his fruits and his vegetables to live, he recognizes, I, I, can't, I can't give away my best. I need my best. The people around me need my best. But he looked at all he had and, and he saw what he felt was like a more plausible gift. I can't give this, but, but I could give that. And he offered that to the Lord. It wasn't about what God deserved. It was about what Cain felt he could offer. His faith wouldn't allow him to go as far as his brother did. And I think when we understand the story like this, I think we can understand Cain a little bit different. Because I think that if I was to ask for a show of hands here, and you, you don't have to put your hand up unless you really want to because you're like, I testify. But, but you don't have to put your hand up if you don't want to. But if I said, who here believes that God is worth everything we have? And if I asked for a show of hands, I'm fairly confident and I would hope that the majority of hands would go up. In fact, based on peer pressure, I would hope that all of the hands went up. That those people who were like, I'm not putting my hand up, as they looked around and saw everybody else's hand went up, they would go, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, but, but we would, the, the hands would go up and we would say, amen to that. God is worth everything. I will hold nothing. We sing, God, there's nothing better than you. Whatever you want, it's yours, God. Whatever you want, there's nothing better. God, you are worth everything we have. But if we were to to really look inside ourselves and say, but do I really believe that I can trust God to give him my best, my most important, so much so that I I know what I believe I I really need, I'm going to trust God so much that I'm willing to give 
everything to God and give up everything for God and just trust and believe that my life is in his hands and he will provide for me. And if it means I have to give my best, if it means I have to give further than I want to give, I'm ready to do that now. And I said, who's ready to do that? Raise your hand. I don't know that even peer pressure. I see a fife. That's my boy. Um, he's got his hand up. Um, but um, I don't even know that peer pressure is going to get all of our hands up. When, when we look internally and we look at ourselves and our lives and we say, what am I willing to sacrifice for God? We may not all get there. But here's the thing. I, I don't believe for a moment it's because we're selfish. I don't believe for a moment it's because you're selfish. I don't believe for a moment it's because I'm selfish. And I also don't believe for a moment it's because we would say, well, God actually isn't worth that. I believe that when we say, I believe God is worth every, I believe that you believe that. And I believe that I believe that. But I think we can look at, at what we have and, and what we are, our time, our resources, our talents, the things that God has given us, and we look at what we need and what others around us may need. We look at my life and say, well, these are the things that I need. And we look at the people around us and we say, these are the things that they need. And then we look and we say, so God, we, I can't afford to extend our, ourselves to you like that. Because... It's real. There are things you need in life. There are things the people around you need in life. That's not a made-up fantasy. It's not a trick from the devil. It's, it's not something that's not true. It's real. And so we can look and we say, God, you are worth everything. But then sometimes we look at our everything and we go, but I can't, I can't give that. that, that that's more than I can give. What we see in, in Cain and Abel is so often the two sides of our faith in God. In, in Abel, we see our ideal. We, we see what we want to be. We, we see the way we want to live. We, we see the heart we want to have. That God didn't ask for it. God didn't command it. God didn't tell me to do it. But God, you are worth my very best in everything I do. And in every way, God, you are first and everything else is second. God, I want to give it all to you. In Abel, we, we see our ideal. But I think for, for most of us and I know for me, in Cain, we can see our reality. I will give God everything. God is worthy of my best. The best of what I believe I can afford to give. And so we draw this home now. What, what can we take away from this? I think there's two things that, that we can take away from, from the story of, of Cain and Abel and of their sacrifices. But one that, that's pretty obvious, that you probably could preach my first point back to me. I'm sure you've got there by now. And one that's probably a little pointy. 
One, one that might make us say ouch a little bit. One, one that might challenge us and might, might sort of leave us going, oh, I'm not sure I liked it when he said that, but I think it's true. The first one is obvious. Friends, we need to be like Abel. We need to do our best to live our lives from the heart that's represented by Abel. We, we need to be able to live by faith. We, our, our lives are, are called to be lived out of faith, to trust in God and, and to believe in him. And, and not because we're told to. Not because, well, the Bible gives it as a commandment and so I have to do it. But because God is worth everything. Because God's worth it. Because of who God is and, and what he's done for us, we are motivated to give God out of that. Friends, God is worth our everything. And we need to be a people who, who do our best to live from that place. And so I want to invite you to, to do an internal audit of your life. Where, where do I profess to be like Abel, but I'm a little bit more like Cain? Where do I say, God, it's all yours? But I really mean, God, what's left is yours. Where do I say, God, you deserve the best, but the fruit of it is, God, you deserve the best of what's left. Where does our perception and our vision of what our world is get in the way of what our faith in God says it should be? Now, here's the other one that might get a little pokey for you. Here's the other one that, that might hurt a little bit. This is the, this is the, the other point that, that maybe, oh, yeah, we could do. This is the part that, that might hurt a little bit. Because I believe we need to understand and we need to know, and I think it's my duty as, as the pastor and it's my duty as your friend to, to bring this up, that I would feel, I, I feel bad not saying this, and there's part of me that feels bad saying this because I think it, it, it could poke us a little bit. But I believe we need to know that God feels the same way about the sacrifices that we make with the heart of Cain that he did back then. That God feels the same way about the sacrifices and the offerings that we give to him with a heart of Cain today that he still, or that he did back then. I think that sometimes we can convince ourselves that God is really just okay with whatever we can do. That, hey, God should be glad I'm giving him something. God, God should be glad I'm doing something for him. We had a mantra in our house for a long, long time. We don't say it as much anymore as the kids have gotten older. But when our kids were little and they were picky eaters, and we would come to dinner and, and, they, and we would be met with, I don't want that. The kids would say it to each other. We would say to our kids, we would say, you get what you get and you don't get upset. That's right. You get what you get and you don't get upset. 
And I think sometimes, whether we know it or not, we can have that same attitude with God. That God, these are the things in my life that are important. These are the things in my life that I, I cannot compromise. God, my, my career, God, my school, God, my, my finances, God, my time, God, my treasure, God, whatever it may be that we would say, God, God, these are the things that really matter. But then from whatever's left, take your pick. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. That we give God whatever we have, and God should just be grateful for whatever he gets. As long as I'm doing something for God, it doesn't really matter if it's my best. It doesn't matter if it requires me to step out in faith at all. None of that matters because God should be glad that he gets what he gets. See, we, even as I said that, and, and you may, as I say, God feels the same way. You may think, we live by grace now, man. Have you read the New Testament? We, we live by grace. And God is just grateful for whatever he gets. He has grace for me. He's got grace for you. And friends, God's grace is unending. God has grace for you in every way imaginable in your life. God loves you unconditionally and he has grace for every situation, every relationship, every word spoken, every thought thought. God has grace for all of it. But in that same book of Hebrews where we read earlier just two verses later, as we read through the hall of faith, just two verses later, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, right after it tells us about Abel and Cain, it will say, to the, say this to us. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Friends, that's pretty definitive. Impossible's not a word that leaves a lot of space for, well, mate. It's pretty definitive. And so when our heart is, God, I will do anything for you, but I don't want it to require any faith. Like, a, like Cain, God, I will give you a sacrifice, but I don't want to give you from the stuff I need. God, I'll give you from the stuff that I feel like I can afford to give. And we're not giving and not living and not operating in our lives from a place where I have to trust in God not my words, but it's impossible to please him with that heart. Friends, scripture tells us that God is not pleased with our faithless offerings. And I know that this may be poking some of us today. This, this might be poking you today. Because I know that it was poking me as I was writing it. 
But I, want, I wanted to, to find a loophole. I wanted to find a different way of, of saying I wanted to say, but really it's okay because it's hard. Because I know that, that I have this same heart towards God. That there are some things that it's really hard to sacrifice for him. There are some things that I know God has asked me to do that it's hard to do. There are things that God has asked me to be that it's hard to be. God, I, I can't do that. But I am willing to do this. God, I can't give you that. But, but I am willing to give you this. And hoping that God will just be glad with whatever it is I'm willing to give. But I want to close our time here by letting you know this isn't about condemnation. This isn't about guilt. This isn't somehow a scolding message from the pastor telling you, I've got a church full of dead faith, worthless people. You are amazing. And I am so grateful to be able to preach a message to people like this. Because when I look around, I don't see a bunch of people who are faithless and, and have no interest in God. I see a people who love God. And I see people who I think God just wants to draw in even closer. I think it's an invitation to us to reconsider what maybe we've allowed to sneak into our relationship with God. It's an invitation for each of us to reimagine what it means for each of us to live by faith. And it's an invitation to reconnect with God who calls each and every one of us to live by faith and not by sight. See, friends, I don't see this as a message from God saying, do better to you or to me. I see this as a message from God saying, I want to reconnect with you. I want to I I draw you in. I, I want to bring you in closer. I found the prize, the well overflowing beyond Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. I have assurance, I have a hope. I've got a future, and God holds it all. I've got a story, a reason to sing. And all thanks to Jesus, I am.
I won't 